This is the Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC. Presented by Legacy Precious Metals. A man who's gone through hell, but he's kept going and he's smart and he's strong and people love him. Not everybody, but people love him and respect him. Roger Stone. Now, here's Roger Stone. Welcome back, folks. Uh, This is the Roger Stone Show here at 77 WABC. Uh, And joining us now is uh, New Jersey lawyer and activist Paul Inglesia. I saw an extraordinarily well-reasoned piece that he wrote for Substack in which uh, he made uh, a compelling case uh, that under the precepts of the U.S. Constitution, that former U.N. Ambassador and former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley may not actually be constitutionally eligible to be President of the United States. Now, this is a question that has come up in the past uh, in American politics. Uh, it was raised uh, when John McCain uh, was elected because he was born in the Panama Canal Zone. Uh, There was some question as to whether that uh, applied to the Constitution's requirement that one be natural natural born citizen, a natural born citizen. Also came up earlier than that when Connecticut Senator Lowell Weicker, who was born in Paris, France, decided to run for president. Didn't really matter because Literally, nobody voted for that guy, uh, and he was never going to be president. Obviously, there is the Obama-Birther controversy, which we're not here to talk about today. Uh, But I'm going to let Paul Inglesia lay out for us uh, his legal analysis uh, of why he believes uh, that Nikki Haley, who now appears to be, uh, uh, at least for the time being, hanging in, in the race for president against President Donald Trump is constitutionally eligible to be president. Paul, welcome to the Roger Stone Show. Well, thank you so much, Roger. It's always an honor to speak with you. Um, Yeah, it's an interesting argument. I mean, as of now, there are a slew of reasons why Nikki Haley should not be running for president. Um, Of course, the eligibility clause uh, requirement that's stipulated in Article 2, Section 1 is just, you know, a small component of, of all that, of, all, of, of the entire equation. I mean, she's being funded by the same people who are financing these lawsuits against Donald Trump, so on and so forth. But for the purposes of this constitutional question, I think it's really an interesting and compelling case. Um, you know, recently our friend Laura Loomer came up with this investigative report um, demonstrating that neither one of Nikki Haley's parents were citizens at the time she was born um, in South Carolina in 1972. So the Constitution lays out pretty clearly and uh, what the requirements are in order to qualify for the presidency. You have to be here for 14 years, residing within the United States for 14 years. Um, you have to be at least 35 years of age. And the third requirement is that you have to be a natural-born citizen. Now, the language natural-born citizen only appears in Article 2, Section 1. This 
notably is the only clause in the entire Constitution that lays out the specifications for the presidential office holder. Now, the requirements to be a member of Congress, for example, are laid out in Article 1. It, it says that you have to be a citizen to be a member of the House or the Senate, but it doesn't say natural-born citizen. So that language is notably omitted for, for congressional members as well as uh, judicial office holders as laid out in Article 3. So right off the bat, um, just, you know, as a threshold matter, if you're just kind of applying the plain language of the text of the Constitution itself, it would appear that there's a higher, that the framers of the Constitution, and this we know is certainly true, um, wanted a higher standard for the presidential office holder, which of course is the highest office of the land, than other federal office holders. So that's sort of like, you know, the, the, the original sort of uh, threshold issue. Now, if you go further into the analysis, the term natural born citizen only appears in Article 2. Um, so in order to get an originalist understanding, like what, what this term actually meant for the people who adopted our Constitution for the Founding Fathers, um, resort has to be made to a text by the, by the uh, famous legal theorist, the, this legal scholar, um, who promoted um, a highly influential leading uh, legal treatise at the time the Founding Fathers adopted the Constitution. Um, this legal treatise was called The Law of Nations. It came out in 1758, about 30 years uh, prior to the adoption of our Constitution. And that's where the language natural-born citizen uh, comes from. And that's where James Madison adopted that language uh, when he ultimately implemented it into our own Constitution. Um, so. The term natural-born citizen, while it may be ambiguous as to what its meaning, uh, what it means based on just a textual analysis of our own Constitution, um, it's very clear what it meant according to um, that legal treatise by Emmerich de Vital in The Law of Nations. And that said that um, his, his work said, and I'll quote, um, natural-born citizens are born in the country of parents who are citizens. So um, Article 2, Section 1 uses the language natural-born citizen. Um, it says that anyone could become president as long as they are natural-born citizens or citizens at the time the Constitution was adopted. So for those saying, well, you know, George Washington or John Adams, um, you know, their parents were not citizens because obviously it predated the Constitution. Um, you know, obviously they made a clause for that to qualify the original adopters of the Constitution itself. So, um, you know, if, if you go, if you're applying the original meaning of the term natural, natural born citizen, and, you know, Nikki Haley presents herself as a conservative, someone who would appoint originalist judges to the Supreme Court and to other federal courts um, who are tasked with faithfully applying uh, the, the law, the Constitution, based on its original meaning, um, on that, on those grounds alone, um, it would seem that, you know, that natural-born citizen wouldn't render her ineligible to run for president because both of her parents were not citizens at the time the Constitution was adopted. Now, there's more to this analysis, and we can go further into this, uh, Roger, but 
Um, you know, a few other questions that I have regarding Nikki Haley is there is really very little online. I mean, I don't know if you've done a deep dive into this. Uh, maybe our friend Laura has. But, you know, what ultimately was the citizenship status of her parents when she was born on U.S. soil? I really can't find anything online about that. Um, you know, I think she, as a national candidate, you know, as the second, obviously she's far behind Donald Trump, but, you know, being running for the presidency, I think she owes her constituents and the American people at large um, sort of a comprehensive summary of the permanent resident status of her parents, a legal explanation of what their status was. Were they here on uh, student visas? Were they here on some sort of uh, business visa or something else? I mean, we, we don't know whether these people were even here lawfully or unlawfully. I mean, she claims they were lawfully domiciled in the United States, her parents, when she was born. But, you know, without the evidence supporting that, we, we, we have no idea whether that's true or not. So I think um, she should, at the bare minimum, at the bare minimum, present uh, that evidence and give us a comprehensive overview and perhaps let independent um, people uh, substantiate those claims that she's making rather than her own campaign. And uh, because, you know, as of right now, um, you know, one could not be at fault for, for thinking that her parents were illegals and she was, you know, an anchor baby. But, um, you know, there's a lot there that I just laid out. Um, probably under Nikki Haley's own analysis and, the, and, the, and those who defend Nikki Haley um, are basically making the claim that Anyone who crosses the southern border and, and arrives here, whether they're law, whether they're legally or illegally here, if they have a child on U.S. soil, that child is automatically allowed to become president of the United States. I mean, that is totally incompatible with the original meaning of the um, of the eligibility clause in Article Two, Section One. So, um, anyone who suggests that is is uh, certainly um, you know, going against what the Constitution plainly lays out and what the Founding Fathers also intended for the presidential office. Uh, Paul, have the, have the federal courts ever uh, substantially opined on what exactly the Constitution means when it says natural-born citizen? Well, Roger, there have been a few cases, and the most famous case, uh, most of these cases occurred after the Civil War, the late 19th century, um, you know, in the decades after the 14th Amendment was adopted. Um, so those critics of my argument typically rely on the 14th Amendment and um, a, a case by the name of Wong Kim Ark, which was a Supreme Court case that found that a Chinese uh, child, uh, basically Chinese foreign nationals were stationed in California. They were here lawfully um, in the late 1890s, and they had a child on U.S. soil. And this child apparently went back with the parents to China and then um, tried to re-enter the United States. Now, this was during uh, the time in which the Chinese Exclusion Act was in effect. So that child was not able to get back into the United States because U.S. authorities at the time found the child um, to not, 
you know, be uh, a U.S. citizen. This was their their reasoning. This was the reasoning of the uh, United States government um, because that child was born to uh, non-citizen parents. So this was a case that did not deal with, you know, a president of the United States. It just dealt with your average citizen. Now, the question I should just state uh, up front of whether birthright citizenship and whether the merits of Wong Kim are or whether the case itself is is a legally valid opinion is, is a matter up for debate. But I would say that's an entirely separate argument. The issue of birthright citizenship and whether we should be conferring birthright citizenship to uh, the child of lawfully domiciled uh, um, alien residents here um, is a separate matter than the question of presidential eligibility. We know, as I stated earlier, that um, you know the founding fathers and the framers of the Constitution wanted to set a much higher bar for the presidential office holder than members of Congress or, or you know, just basic citizenship. You know, the basic privileges and immunities of citizenship um, was a much lower standard than someone running for president. So, Wong Kim Ark is utterly silent on the issue of. Um, qualifications or eligibility for the presidency. Um, but that is the only case on the books that um, even sort of indirectly or tenuously deals with the question of, um, you know, birthright citizenship and presidential eligibility. Now, in that case, Wong Kim Ark, the majority opinion, uh, briefly glanced over the presidential eligibility question. Um, but it did not give it a comprehensive analysis. It did not uh, do a comprehensive analysis of Article 2, Section 1. It kind of just uh, mentioned it, but it did not um, address one way or the other whether uh, this opinion's holding would also impute to Article 2, Section 1. And then the rest of the opinion goes into, you know, uh, the rights of uh, this individual, Wong Kim R and whether he should be conferred basic privileges and immunities of citizenship because his parents were here, um, although not citizens, they were here lawfully at the time. So aside from that opinion, Roger, uh, no other case, is, uh, as far as I'm aware, uh, you know, goes into the question of presidential eligibility. Now, it's interesting to note that the dissent in Wong Kim Ark was joined by Justice uh, uh, Harlan, who famously also dissented in Plessy versus Ferguson. So that kind of just goes to show, I think, the merits of Wong Kim Ark in and of itself. And I think, honestly, this is a case that should also be uh, revisited by the Supreme Court. But again, that's an entirely separate matter. On the question of presidential eligibility, um, you know, critics would say, well, the 14th Amendment confers uh, natural born citizenship on anyone born here to um, foreign parents, whether they're here lawfully or not. But the phrase natural born citizen does not appear, for one, in the 14th Amendment. Um, number two, uh, the 14th Amendment clearly applied to uh, newly freed slaves in the aftermath of the Civil War and the citizenship status of those, uh, those emancipated slaves. It had nothing, it was totally silent on the issue of presidential eligibility. Um, if the framers of the 14th Amendment believed that 
it would be uh, distorted um, and applied to the question of presidential eligibility. I'm sure, I'm confident that they would have written a separate clause in there specifying the higher threshold requirements for the presidential office holder. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. All right, let's, go to, uh, pol- let's go to politics here uh, for just a minute. Sure. Uh, the... The candidacy of Nikki Haley is intriguing to me. She's not competing in the Nevada primary, uh, right. neither the caucuses or the primary, or I believe she may be in the preferential primary, which is merely a beauty contest, but does not award any delegates, but she is not competing in the caucuses where actual delegates uh, are awarded. Uh, and then in her home state of South Carolina, things uh, are, are not looking good. I mean, Donald Trump is pulled out to an almost 30-point lead. The governor of South Carolina, Henry McMaster, strongly supporting uh, uh, Donald Trump. The lieutenant governor, strongly supporting Donald Trump. The leader of uh, the Republicans in both houses of the legislature, uh, both uh, supporting Donald Trump. Uh, it is a state that, like New Hampshire, non-Republicans can vote in the primary. Actually, South Carolina has no party registration, meaning Republicans, Democrats, a- and independents uh, can all vote in either the Republican or Democratic primary. But the difference in South Carolina is uh, the independents don't lean left, they lean right. Uh, And Uh of course, there is also uh, a substantial number of at least 20% of conservative Democrats. They tend to be older, uh, but uh, they are quite probably votes for Donald Trump. So the real question to me is, uh, what is is Nikki Haley's uh, goal? She's not going to be nominated for president. Uh, She could be doing what George H.W. Bush did in 1980, which is because she still has special interest money in the bank, despite her lack of viability, she stays in the race to try to uh, up her profile uh, and make it uh, more likely uh, that she can essentially leverage her way onto the ticket for vice president. I've seen uh, Clay Travis, a radio personality, uh, articulate that over the last couple of days. I, I, I don't think that that can work uh, for a couple of reasons. First of all, there's the question of her personal integrity. She looked Donald Trump in the eye and she told him, you're among our greatest presidents. If you run again, I will not run. Uh, and then she ran. But then secondarily, Uh, Her defense and foreign policy views, I hate to say this, but they are identical to Joe Biden's. So Mm -hmm. what we really see here is uh, a uniparty effort 
to have a foot in both major parties, and, and she is the the fallback uh, for the uh, for the 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 deep state uh, in their out that they can either continue to damage Donald Trump by her staying in the race, or uh, they try to leverage her on the ticket, in which case I have said, uh, were she to be vice president, Donald Trump would need a food taster. Yes. No, I, I think that's exactly right, Roger. And I think, you know, the results of New Hampshire made that uh, quite clear that she is the vessel or the vehicle for the uni party, for the establishment, for the Democrats. I mean, most of her voters, at least in the state of New Hampshire, and I'm sure this will be true elsewhere if she remains in the primary process, will be Democrats or never Trump or Republicans, but basically all liberals. Um, that's the only way that she's uh, maintaining her, the little momentum that she has. And of course, she has a lot of funding from uh, big money Democrat spenders, people like Reid Hoffman, who's also financing this ridiculous uh, case now transpiring, um, you know, with the e. e. Jean Carroll downtown Manhattan, where I am right now. So, um, you know, she is definitely a vessel for the establishment, for the uni party, for the deep state. Her foreign policy views are neoconservative and are definitely in lockstep with Biden, with Bush, uh, with McCain. Um, so she's exactly that. Um, and I think that you hit it right out of the park with that. Uh, well, let's hope, and it seems like many Americans have woken up to that reality and that she is, you know, she is a true snake, as Donald Trump likes to uh, frequently talk about on the campaign trail. Um, trying to slipper herself back into the administration. It's, 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 um, the, the real tragedy with this whole thing is that it's a colossal waste of time, energy, and resources that should otherwise be spent on Donald Trump. Um, we know the RNC yesterday issued a statement that, you know, they would um, potentially, uh, you know, make Trump the presumptive nominee regardless of the outcome of the um, primaries and Trump, of course, quickly shot that down, saying he wants it uh, to play out. Given the lack of loyalty that the RNC has showed Trump all throughout this as well, but I think you, you're exactly right, and I think you know, hopefully, Nikki Haley's um, campaign will soon come to an end, and we can forget about talking about bird brain, um, and she'll be relegated to the dustbin of history, much like our friend the Sanctimonious. All right. Thank you, Paul uh, Inglesia, a New Jersey lawyer, supporter of President Donald Trump, for joining us today on The Stone Zone. Paul, because you are uh, a member of the Italian-American Civil Rights League, you appreciate the fact that I promised my listeners from the beginning of the show uh, that uh, my mother's, therefore my grandmother's, meatball recipe would be revealed. So here it is. I hope you all had time to get pen and paper to write this down. First, you're going to want to preheat the oven to 350 degrees and put a Pyrex dish uh, at the bottom filled with water. You're going to see why that comes in handy later. You want to saute some onions, some garlic in a uh, high quality uh, olive oil. There are special olive oils that are specifically for sautéing. You can get them at Gristini's. Uh, in a big bowl, you want to add three pounds of meat. That is uh, one pound of ground beef, one pound of ground veal, one pound of ground pork. Add uh, a cup and a half of 
freshly grated Parmesan cheese. You also then want to add three cups of Italian breadcrumbs, six eggs that you have whipped, uh, and some fresh chopped garlic, but, uh, uh, parsley, but only uh, a quarter cup. Uh, in the beginning, by the way, I should say, you want uh, a fair amount of garlic uh, and onions. I'm talking about, you know, a couple of good-sized heads of garlic. Now, you add to that mixture one tablespoon of oregano, one tablespoon of basil, one tablespoon of thyme, one tablespoon of marjoram, uh, one tablespoon of ground black pepper, the coarse kind, uh, and then two tablespoons of kosher salt. To that mixture, I add three quarters of a cup of water. Now, I form my meatballs, try to keep them kind of loose, but making sure that they hold together. I then brown them in the same pan where I sauteed the onions and the garlic at the beginning of this recipe, but keep turning them over because you, you don't want them to be flat on any side. Uh, after they are slightly browned, you will put them on a large baking sheet uh, and you will go back to the oven, which you already preheated uh, at 350. I remember that Pyrex dish in the bottom with the water. Very important in terms of keeping your meatballs moist. Uh, you will bake for 40 minutes uh, and you're done. You drop that into your basic marinara sauce. Uh, we've given that recipe a number of times. We'll do it again. Uh, and you will have the perfect meatball. So there it is. That is my grandmother Corbo's recipe uh, for the perfect Italian meatball. We had a lot of requests for that since our very first show, and I'm proud to share it. Enjoy it uh, on this cold Sunday. Uh, I'm Roger Stone. This has been my pleasure to be with you today on The Roger Stone Show. Please stay tuned for my good friend, Joe Piscopo, who will be right along shortly with Sundays with Sinatra.